0: Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Please open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, Start in chapter 1, verse 1. We are, uh, we are continuing our series going through the, the women in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. So, if you remember we we talked about the story of Tamar. Last week, we studied the the story of Rahab and how she joined with God's people, how she protected the the spies that that went into Jericho, and uh, she became a part of God's people because she took refuge under the blood of the lamb. And this week we're gonna talk about Ruth. Ruth is the next uh, the next woman that is in Jesus's genealogy. remember that we you know, we mentioned that uh, even though it's not it's not completely unheard of, it is uh, pretty peculiar that that women are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And so, you know, we thought that it would be a good idea to try to trace to trace the theme of the the seed of the woman in uh, in these stories. So let's uh, let's pray, and and we're gonna. We're going to read from the Word of God. We are in Ruth, chapter 1. Ruth. God, we give you glory. We praise you. Thank you that we can be called your people. Thank you that you have welcomed us into your people and you have shared your inheritance with us. Thank you, Lord, that those of us who have uh, come and take refuge under your wings, we don't have anything to fear, Lord, because we are yours. We belong to you. God, I pray that you fill us with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you teach us from your word, that you convict us, that you rebuke us, that you train us in righteousness. And that you help us to see the glory of your son, Jesus, in your word. That you help us to see the, the your greatness, your holiness, your grace, your redemption, Lord. Please guide us in this time that we have together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to start by reading uh, Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the women sorry, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So right away we uh, the book opens up with a sad note. The book opens up in a, uh, in a, you know, pretty dark note. In fact, from the very beginning, where it says that it, all, this story happened in the days of the when the judges ruled. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, if you have read the book of Judges, you know that the book of Judges is not a very happy book. It's not your fairy tale where you know you finish reading the book and. And it says, and they lived happily, happily ever after. No, the book of Judges is a very, very dark book. It's a very dark time in the history of Israel. And the book of Judges comes right after Joshua. Last week, we studied Joshua. And Joshua is, is a, a triumphant book, right? It, it, Joshua tells us the story of, of Joshua taking over Moses' uh, leadership after he dies. And Joshua tells us the story of how the people of Israel went into the promised land and how they conquered the land and how God was with them, right? In the book of Joshua, we read stories like uh, Joshua praying and God stopping the sun so that they can finish that that conquest. And and we read stories of God helping the people of Israel conquer the land uh, uh, through miracles, right? Through sending hail and, and storms and floods and everything. So it's a very triumphant book. But then we come to the book of Judges, and everything goes downhill right away. In fact, let me me read a little bit from the book of Judges. Uh, You don't have to go there, but just a quick summary. The book of Judges opens up with uh, information like this. Manasseh, one of the tribes of Israel, did not drive out the inhabitants. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites, dot, dot, dot. Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshemesh. So basically this book, the book of Judges, is opening and telling us how the people of Israel failed to accomplish the command that God had given them. When God gave them the promised land, when God gave them the land of Cana, God told them, you have to go in there and drive everyone out. You have to devote everyone to destruction. But the people of Israel did not obey God. They failed to conquer the land. And so this is the consequence. This is what happens. This is, again, the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. Said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted their voices and wept. And they call the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrifice there to the Lord. So God is telling them, you failed to fulfill the mission that I gave you. I told you I was going to give you the people. I told you I was going to give you the land, but because you failed the mission. Now, these people, you're going to be struggling with them, and they're going to be a thorn on your side. And so the book tells us that, that Joshua, you know, remained faithful. Joshua's generation remained faithful to God. But it says that when Joshua and Joshua's generation died, this is what happened. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. So this is the book of Judges. This is the dire situation. In fact, at the... Throughout the book of Judges and at the end end of the book of Judges, it ends with these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the time of the Judges, it was a time of, of chaos, a time of disobedience, a time that should have been a time of blessing, right? God was bringing him into the promised land, the land that flows with honey and milk. But instead of honey and milk, there was famine in the land because they failed to fulfill the mission that God gave them. And so the the story of Ruth begins with famine in the promised land. What an irony, right? Famine in the promised land. And so it begins with a man named Elimelech who has to leave the land of Israel and has to go to Moab, the fields of Moab, Moab is uh, known for having very fertile uh, um, um, plateaus and, and, and uh, agriculture is, is just very rich there. But they're also God's enemies, right? It, Moab was not a part of the promised land. And so Elimelech goes there, he brings his wife, he brings his two sons, eventually Elimelech dies the two sons marry Moabite women, and the two sons die. So, like I said, this is a, this is a, a sad opening. This is a dark opening to the book. And we, before we move forward, I want to ask you to think about this question. What is your response when you encounter suffering? What is your response when you encounter suffering? tribulation? What is your response when you experience the results of this sinful world, whether it be your own sin or the sin of others? What is your response when you experience rejection, when you experience the death of a family member, a loved one? What is your response when you see how, in in many ways, our culture resembles that of the judges where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. So let's see what Naomi's response was to these trials that she was experiencing. So let's read at verses 6 through 22. Then she rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the field of Moab that the Lord had visited his people And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anyone, sorry, if anything but death parts me from you. And then Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her and said no more. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who remained, sorry who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So when the Lord went sorry, when Naomi hears that the Lord has visited Bethlehem, when, when she hears that there is food in Bethlehem again, she decides to go back and as, as her daughters-in-law are coming with her, she turns around and tells him, you know what? Just go back. Go back. My, my future is, is pretty bad. It is very clear that God is against me, that he has dealt bitterly with me, that, that he has testified against me. So go back. Go, to your, go back to your, to, to your house, to the, to the house of your fathers. And so as we read, one of them goes, Orpah does go back, but Ruth clings to her. Ruth remains faithful and loyal to Naomi. But this is, this, is, this is Naomi's response, and this is why I ask you at first, what is your response when you experience tragedy, when you experience suffering or, or the loss of someone? Well, Naomi's response was, the Lord is against me. Her response was to question the kindness and the goodness of God. Her response was to think that God was against her, that God had signaled her out and that he was against her. And the problem is that Naomi had a poor perception of God's character. She forgot that God describes himself as a merciful God, as a loving God, as a kind God. And so in her mind, and you know, in a sense, we can't be too harsh on her, right? She just lost her husband and her two sons. But in her mind, God is not good. God is against her. And one of the results of her her misconception of God's character is that she is trying to turn her daughter's-in-law away from God. Think about this. If they would have gone to Israel... They were basically, like Rahab and like Tamar, they were basically becoming a part of God's family. They were basically coming and joining in the, in the blessings that belong to God's people. But Naomi, in her unbelief, is turning them away from the grace that they could, in, that, that they could receive with God's people. In fact, I, I mean, notice how, even, how she even says, go back to your God's. Instead of saying, no, come to Israel. Come to worship Yahweh. She tells him, go back to your gods. Go back to your fathers. Do your own thing. I'm cursed by the Lord. It would be better for you to go back to your family, to stay here in Moab. Ruth, on the other hand, she has more faith. She understands a little bit better. Or actually... It seems like she understands a lot better. She remains faithful to her mother-in-law. She remains loyal to her. She says, no, I am going to go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Last week, Sam pointed out that Rahab knows the Lord, knows Yahweh by name. She knows who he is. Well, in this case, Ruth also knows who the Lord is, right? She says, uh, may the Lord do so to me and more. If anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth knows where she is going. She knows that she is going to the Lord, to Yahweh. She knows that she is becoming a part of God's people by going to Bethlehem. So in in chapter 2, verse 1, we read, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, that's all we are told about Boas at the moment, right? So uh, I've given this example multiple times, but imagine that, that you know, if, if, a, if the director of a movie were, were, you know, making this book into a movie, basically they're like showing you one quick scene, right, where you see a character, you see a person doing something and you've never seen this character, but it's obvious enough that you look at it and say, okay, yeah, something is going to happen with this guy. Right? I don't know yet what's going on, but we know that this is Boaz. We know that he's a relative. That's all we know, but you know, let's keep an eye on this guy because something is going to happen. And so in verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So just a really quick word on gleaning. Gleaning was a a very common practice at the time. And it was a practice that the Lord had instituted. It was a commandment that God had given the people of Israel. And this was the commandment for, for those who owned fields. The commandment was this in Leviticus 19, 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So right away... We learn that God is a merciful God. He is a kind God. He is a God that cares about people. He is a God that cares for the poor, for the sojourner. He is basically giving the the landowners, the vineyard owners, he's giving them a command of saying, do not gather the fruits that are on the edge of your fields. Leave that for the sojourner. If something falls to the ground, do not pick it up. Leave that for the gleaners, for the poor. Do not go over your field twice. Whatever you gather the first time, you keep that and leave the rest for the poor, for the, for, the, for the sojourner to come and glean. What a merciful God we serve that gave them that command. And right away we see that Boaz is a righteous man because he is following the rule, right? He's not being greedy and, and, and uh, not letting uh, gleaners come, but we see that there are multiple gleaners in his field And so Ruth goes and and gleans in the field. Now, notice how God's providence works. We read this story and it all seems like coincidence, right? And Ruth happened to go to the field of Boaz, right? We already know who Boaz is. He is the redeemer. He's he's the, the member of their family. And Ruth so happened to go to Boaz's field. And behold, right, behold is a a word of surprise. Behold, that's the day that Boaz decided to go from Bethlehem to check out his field. And so, you know, even though it all looks like coincidence, we know that we serve a God that is sovereign, a God that is in perfect control of everything. And and we're going to learn from the rest of the book that this was no no coincidence. We're going to learn that this was God Very involved in the history, number one, the history of Naomi, because he wanted to bless Naomi. Even though Naomi was failing to see God's love, God's kindness, God's involvement, God was actually trying to bless her. He was very much involved in blessing her. and. It is interesting because I would say, I, I would put the book of Ruth in, in three different levels. On the one hand, it is a book about how how God blesses Naomi. But on a, on a secondary level, not a secondary, but actually on a, on a deeper level, it's a book about how God blesses the people of Israel with a king. Right? The book ends with King David. The book begins... It, with the book, with the judges, right? A time of, of anarchy, basically, where everyone is doing whatever they want, where people are like a, like like sheep without a shepherd. and the book ends with King David, who is a man after God's heart. And then on an even deeper level, this book is pointing us to the ultimate Messiah, to Jesus. This book is pointing, is showing us how God in his providence, in his sovereignty, was very much involved in such a small detail as Ruth happened to glean in Boaz's field. And as in such a small detail as Boaz going to his field at the same time that Ruth was gleaning so that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, would come from that line. So God is very much involved in his creation. God is very much at work, are orchestrating all of these things. So we read in uh, chapter two, verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my to. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping." and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then he said, sorry, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, Though I am non, not one of your servants. I believe that this is the, this is the turning point. This is, uh, this explains why things went the way they did for Ruth, and for Naomi. I believe this happened because Ruth came and took shelter under God's wings. This happened because she came and, and said, hey, there is no other hope for me. There is no other way for me. I'm going to go to the to, to the land of Israel, and I am going to take shelter under God's wings. And Boaz is, is actually familiar with that concept. Did you notice in, in Matthew 1, who's... Whose son is Boaz? Boaz is the son of Solomon and Rahab. So Boaz is very familiar with the concept of a foreigner coming and taking refuge under God's wings. He is very familiar because I'm sure he heard from his mother the story of how, you know, the spies went into Jericho and she basically betrayed her own people because she knew that the Lord was greater. And in faith, she took refuge under God's wings. And so Boaz is, is I, I'm sure he is, you know, well, I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but I would imagine that he probably saw a little bit of his mom in Ruth, right? Also a foreigner who came and took refuge under God's wings. So what is your response when you face trials? When you face suffering? When you experience loss? What is your response when you have experienced the rejection of your family? Or the rejection of society, of friends? How do you react to tragedies in your life, in your family? Do you... Are you tempted to react like Naomi and say, God is against me. God has dealt bitterly with me. Or like Ruth, you come in faith and just take refuge under God's wings. So in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, Boaz continues to prove his, his worthiness, his righteousness, his mercy. Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat before the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some leftover. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived there with her mother-in-law. So on the one hand, we see that Boaz is a righteous man, right? Boaz is a merciful man. He, he, uh, he not only lets Ruth glean but he actually gives her some extra, right? He, he, uh, he commands his workers to actually drop a little bit more food so that she can grab a little bit more. And then he gives her more food. And I believe this is the turning point for Naomi. I think that once Naomi realizes that Ruth happened to be in Boaz's field, that Boaz happened to come, that Boaz was so kind to Ruth, I think that it all clicked for Naomi. And notice her change of heart. First, she, she is referring to God as, as someone who dealt bitterly with her, as someone who is against her, someone who has testified against her. But notice how she talks about him now. He talks about Boaz and says, May he be blessed by the Lord, the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So she is realizing that God has not forsaken her. She is realizing that God is a kind, a loving, a merciful God. She is realizing that God has not only not forsaken her, but he has also not forsaken her dead husband and sons. Right? That's why she says the living and the dead. She knows that God is faithful, loving, and kind. So now that now that uh, Naomi has had a, a change of heart, now that some time has passed, now that harvest is is uh, over, Naomi comes up with a plan. Now this is this is a, a, this is a section that we actually find interesting and, and perhaps even a little humorous, um, in uh, chapter three, verse one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And lay down. At midnight, the man was uh, startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "Who are you?" And she answered, "I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer." And he said, "May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich." And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow worksmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. So this is is an interesting section, right? We... What what's going on with this plan that Naomi devices, right? What is what is going on with this uh with this plan? Well, basically Naomi is telling Ruth to make it very clear that she is over with her mourning period over her dead husband, that she is available, that she is single. And <laughs> Never mind. I was gonna make a terrible t- single and ready to ming- to mingle, but he, she is letting her know she or she's asking her to make it very uh, very clear that she is available. Now, a quick word here, just a quick implication. When making decisions, when when trying to discern God's will, I feel like sometimes we can be a little bit um um paralyzed by our fear to maybe do something that it was probably not god's will right sometimes we're like well if, should i should i take this job or not should i move to this city or not should i should i marry this person or not right i mean there there are obviously these are big decisions in life and i'm sure you know i'm sure we we all have uh decisions to make But I think that if we have the right understanding of God's goodness, of his kindness, of his love, of of his care for us, right? This is the understanding that, that Naomi had. She had finally understood that God was a kind God that was looking after her. And also, if we are abiding by his commands, right? If we are obeying his will, then I think that we should just act. I don't think that we should be paralyzed by our fear and say, well, but what if I do this and it is not God's will? Well, if you're not disobeying God, then do it. If you are if you are being wise, if you have, you know, weighed your options, then do it. And I think this is what's going on here. Right? Naomi is realizing, "Hey, God is kind. We are here. Clearly God orchestrated Ruth meeting Boaz. Boaz is a very righteous man. He is also our redeemer." So, you know, let's, let's make it known to him that Ruth is available, that Ruth is willing to marry him, right? And so this is what's going on here. Ruth goes and uh, she follows her mother-in-law's advice and uncovers his feet. Now, you know, let me be very clear. There is no moral compromise here. I know that this, you know, sounds super weird to us, but there is, there is no moral compromise. She's not offering herself or anything like that. Rather, she is telling... she. This is a... a you know, Jewish culture is very visual. And, and, you know, like the sandal that we saw with Tamar, how like you have to pull out a sandal and spit on the face of, of the guy or, you know, the, the cord. A lot of things are like... There are a lot of visual things in this culture. And so in this particular case... The fact that she's uncovering his feet is so that she can ask the question, cover me. Basically, cover me with your garment, spread your wings, which is interesting, right? With the, with the same wording that Boaz says, you have taken shelter under the, the, the wings of the God of Israel. And so now Ruth is coming to Boaz and saying, please, give us, give us shelter, redeem us, save us. Now, you know, some of us might say, well, so basically, what, what was going on with Boaz? Was he, you know, too slow or, or was he just not manly enough or what happened? Well, make no mistake, Boaz is an extremely righteous man. I mean, he is portrayed as extremely righteous, godly, God-fearing, merciful, protecting. He understands all of that. And so notice his character. We're going to see it described in... Um, in chapter four, but but notice his character at the end of chapter uh, of chapter three. In verse eighteen, or actually verse uh, sixteen, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "How did you fare, my daughter?" Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, "These six measures of barley he gave to me." For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz is not, he's no wimp. He's no weakling. He is a man of action. And I think here is a really good exhortation for us men. I might be the only one, but if you identify with me, maybe let me know afterwards. I think that a a great temptation for us men is being passive. I think a great temptation for us men is letting our wives do the job that we as men, as leaders of the home, are supposed to be doing. Right? God has given us the role of leading our family lovingly and sacrificially, But am I the only one whose wife has to remind him to do family devotions? Am I the only one whose wife has to remind him to take his role of leadership? Well, Boaz was not that guy. He will not rest until he will settle the matter today. And brothers, men, my exhortation for you is, do not rest until you settle the matter today. I'm not just talking about, you know, taking the garbage today, right? That's 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 something, but I'm talking about fulfilling your duty as a, as a man, leading your family, protecting your family, shepherding your family. Do not wait until tomorrow. Settle the matter today. So we see Boaz and how he, he goes and settles the matter. Chapter 4. And sorry, really, before we go to chapter 4, I, I just wanted to finish that thought. The reason why we do this is because we are following the example of Jesus. Remember Ephesians chapter 5? In Ephesians chapter 5, it says that husbands should love the wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ is the one that gave his life for his bride, for the church. He is the one that sacrificed for her. He is the one that took the initiative. And so we as men, it is our our role, our God-given role to take the initiative, to protect our family, to serve them, to sacrifice for them. All right, so uh, chapter 4. Let's see what Boaz does. By now, I'm sure you figure out that I'm going to go through the whole book. Uh, So please, please be patient. Uh, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, right, another coincidence, not coincidence. Behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and, he, and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you, I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So Boaz goes with this guy with the next in line, right? Because Boaz is a righteous man. Instead of taking advantage, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the one who goes before me. And he offers him to buy the inheritance that belongs to Naomi. Now, this entire section, to be honest with you, it's a little bit complicated. Uh, there, there are like a lot of laws involved, and, and uh, yeah, just you know, a lot of civil stuff that I'm that I don't fully understand. But my my general understanding of this is that Elimelech probably had sold his land when he moved to Moab, and so part of Jewish law, part of the law that God gave to the people, is that it was the duty of the family members to redeem a a piece of land so that it would go back to the family. So basically, I understand that the the land belonged to someone else. And Boaz is telling this relative, do you want to buy this land so that the land belongs back to the family? Now, this seems to be a win-win for this guy because Naomi is old. So he's not going to marry Naomi. Naomi's not going to have any sons that you know, would preserve the, 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 the line, the name of Elimelech. So basically, it's a win-win. I buy the land, I keep the land. You know, maybe I'll, I'll have to care for Naomi for a little while until she dies. And then, no worries, the land is mine. And so he says, I will buy it. But then Boaz, right, he's not, he's not ready to let go that easily. It seems like he has saved this for the end. He says in verse 5, then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses to this day, sorry, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife and have renown in Bethlehem. May you may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So, when they, when Ruth comes into the picture, it is not a win win for him anymore. Why not? Because he has to marry Ruth, and if he has a son with Ruth then the the land of Elimelech passes to be the inheritance for this son, right? So the the land would no longer be his. The land would be the the son of Ruth. And so it is no longer convenient for him. Now, I don't know that this guy is necessarily, you know, doing something sinful. However, he is thinking about about himself. He's, He's not thinking about redeeming Ruth. He's not thinking about doing something sacrificial for Naomi and for Ruth. Boaz, on the other hand, he is willing to sacrifice of his own inheritance. He is willing to use up his own money, his own financial uh, uh, comfort in order to redeem Naomi and Ruth. And this only goes to highlight even more how righteous Boaz is. Right, the, the other guy we don't even know his name. Right, he just says, "Hey friend, hey pal, come here." Right, like the, the word it's it's almost like the equivalent for our John Doe. We don't know who this guy is. Boaz, on the other hand, is a redeemer. Boaz is sacrificial. He gives of his own money. He sacrifices of his own comfort to redeem Naomi and to redeem. Ruth. Now, you know, of course, I'm sure that he liked Ruth. I'm sure that he loved Ruth. But he is making here a, a, a sacrifice for them because if they have a child, if they have a son, the first son is going to be an heir of Elimelech. And it's going to be, in a sense, it's going to be a loss for, uh, for Boaz's inheritance, So, to end, we see in in verse 11, or sorry, verse 13, how God turns things around. How the story starts with Naomi having lost her husband, having lost her children. The story begins with tragedy. The story begins with Naomi thinking that God is against her. And look at how the story ends with Naomi being blessed by the Lord, with Naomi knowing that God is faithful and kind. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. the father of David, King David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez, father of Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So just notice God's kindness for Naomi. He blessed her richly. He blessed her through the loyalty and the, and the faith of Ruth, her daughter-in-law. He blessed her through the kindness and generosity of Boaz. Like I said, she started feeling abandoned and she ended feeling blessed and knowing God's faithfulness. And like I said at the beginning, in this story, we see God blessing Naomi. Naomi. But we also see God blessing his people by providing them with a king, right? The story begins with with them not having a king. The story ends with King David being born. But God's greatest plan was to provide a redeemer for humanity. God's greatest plan through it all was that through the line of Boaz, of Ruth, Right, all the way, but I mean, we can trace it all the way back. But thinking about what we've seen so far from, from uh, Judah and Tamar, from Perez, from uh, Rahab and, and Salmon, and now from Boaz and Ruth, the Messiah would come, the Redeemer of the world would come, the, the one to whom Boaz pointed us. Right, Boaz is a righteous man, but he is pointing us to Christ, the ultimate righteous loving redeemer and protector just like Boaz sacrificed for ruth and for naomi we learned that the lord jesus sacrificed in second corinthians it says that even though he was rich he became poor for us so that we would become rich in him the lord jesus sacrificed for us and so i think The main, well, one of the main lessons that I want us to to really, really understand is this. When we are going through trouble, through tribulation, through suffering, through uncertainty, let us not question God's character. Let us not question his kindness, his goodness. Instead, let us run to him and take shelter under his wings. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem, Jerusalem, He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? May we we be willing to take shelter under God's wings, under Jesus' wings. He provided for us, He sacrificed for us, He is our Redeemer. So let us take that redemption. Let us not seek refuge anywhere else. Let us run to our loving and kind God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for your love, for your kindness. We thank you that you are involved in with your creation. You are orchestrating things. And you providentially provide for us. You providentially work things out for our good. And ultimately, you are working things out to redeem the world, to save the world. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, the ultimate redeemer and protector, And thank you that he will come back and he will finally destroy death. He will finally cast the serpent into the lake of fire. Thank you, God, for your love, for your salvation. We want to run and take refuge in you, take refuge under your wings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.